That was five folk songs in counterpoint by Florence Price, a piece that was rescued from obscurity in the Arkansas Public Library in 2015. I'm Nick Pignataro, and this is Brewing Classical, conversations about composers and conductors and always over a cup of coffee. In this episode, I chat with my first ever student guests, Julia, Sammy, and Nikki, who formed the Price Quartet over the summer. Meeting entirely online, they researched and rehearsed this little-known work by this unfairly little-known composer. They share their experience, and I found it so energizing and so refreshing to hear how passionate they are about this music. So grab your favorite mug, fill it with your favorite or closest brew, and join us, won't you? I start this conversation like I do a lot of great conversations over a cup of coffee. Today, it's the medium roast, original blend from Dunkin' Donuts. I've been on the go quite a bit these days, and it's nice to grab a quick cup and a moment's notice. That's Dunkin' Donuts, original blend, the medium roast. Student, you know, students, it's so good to, to be with you. You're my first ever student guests on the podcast, and I know Julia. Julia and I um, probably have known each other for a few years, starting in a youth orchestra. Um, I conduct a youth orchestra on Thursday nights, and she was there as a younger person, and now she's a student at Strathaven. So, Julia, welcome. Why don't you tell us who's with you today? Okay, thank you. Um, so, we have two members um, out of, well, okay. So, we have Nikki, who was our violist in the Price Quartet, and also Sammy, and who was our cellist. And unfortunately, Janae couldn't join us, and neither could Anton. But it's great that Nikki and Sammy are here, and I'm really excited. Your quartet seems to have a, a Broadway name. Where did you get your name? Oh, from Florence Price. Yeah, we played um, her five folk songs in Counterpoint. Actually, four out of, of the five. Yeah. So you named yourself after the composer, which is fabulous. So why don't we, why don't we welcome Sammy first? And Sammy, where are you talking to us from? Um, I'm in Simsbury, Connecticut right now. Oh, nice. Is that, and, and you're in school. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so actually, <clears throat> I'm sorry for that. Um, I am homeschooled and I go to the Greater Hartford Academy of the Arts with a major in music half day. It's like a half day arts program for high schoolers. And um, well, though it's all virtual this year, um, I also in the Connecticut Youth Symphony and a few community orchestras and chamber ensembles in the area. So it's fabulous. And you're the cello player in the quartet. Yes. Um, yeah. I also did some of the video stuff. Fabulous. Well, and we'll take a look at that in just a minute. Uh, Nikki, it's good to have you. Where are you talking to us from? I'm talking from Delaware. Where in Delaware do you live? Hokessin. It's close to Wilmington. I'm a, I'm a violist, and during the day, um, my, I go to an art school in Delaware called Cap Cali School of the Arts, but yeah. I don't really have how to explain it. It's online, so mm -hmm. we just have online school most of the day. Um, and that's, you know, that's a really interesting thing to br bring up because, well, we're talking via Zoom, as almost all things happen right now, especially school. You know, Julia, you're, so Sammy, you're in Connecticut. Julia, you're in Pennsylvania. Nikki, you're in Delaware. So you connected virtually. Um, and you've stayed connected virtually. So how, how did you come together, especially virtually? How did this all start? 
Well, it all started with PCP, Point Counterpoint. It's a chamber music camp. Um, and so this year it was virtual and we all went to session three and we were put in a group together and it was so much fun. Um, and actually, so we're not a regular group, but me and Sammy have both worked on the Brahms together. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. We used BandLab for most of it. So we just recorded our, our, our parts separately and we combined each of our tracks together to form the, to form like um, the, the, the ensemble. And each track would be like, it depends on the track, but they'd be only a couple measures long. So we just have different tracks and we eventually we sort of like edit them together to create, well, Sammy edited them, edited, did the editing. So mm. we edit them, edit them so that they would, they would um, span the entire piece. It was really, really hard when I began, partially because I didn't know how to use the technology and also partially because, you know, I just, I have told like, I wanted to get it perfect, so that's just, that, was, that was just personally for me. But also, I had to with technology and getting things to work well and getting my my part to align with the other part. So at first, it was really really difficult. It got a little bit easier later, but I still had a little trouble with it. Generally speaking, it was kind of like if someone recorded a conversation with like gaps in it, and then you had to like fill in those gaps. So it was like it was very hard at first, but then I think it got definitely a lot easier, as Nikki said. Um, my main issue was like with the timing. Mm. Um, so we the click track, it was a metronome. And um, it would be there for all of us, right? The first person would lay down their track and then the next three would go. Um, and we had this problem, especially in um, I think the fifth movement um, where there were like a bunch of 16th notes and they had to be very exact. Otherwise it would sound like incredibly messy. And that was so hard because you can't really like like when you're in person, you automatically like click and you're together, right? You're on the same beat. Um, mm. But like when it's virtual, you know, some people can be like um, at the front of the beat, some people can be at the back of the beat and it's very hard to like sort of plan that. Um, so like that was, that was like the main issue for me. Yeah, well, I think you're discussing the nuance and you know, Sammy, you, you being the low voice, in the uh, you know in the ensemble when it comes to the cello you know so much so much of it when it comes to intonation is based on the lowest voice in a chamber ensemble and some of the tech, some of the articulation is based on Julia's instrument the higher one of the higher voices too but did you find um, did you find that the nuance was lost or was it there Julia says you know well sometimes when you're in a chamber ensemble you're in the front of the beat or the back of the beat and for those who aren't versed in in, in chamber music. There's like being together on the beat, but this beat has like micro milliseconds on either side of it that you could be a little behind, a little ahead. What was it like as the lowest voice, which requires sort of the most energy to, to play in time? Did you have trouble with the nuance or lack thereof? Well, so it's like super sad with like band lab or virtual playing. It's like so hard to even add in anything outside of the metronome because if you like just like play a few milliseconds before or behind the beat or you try to do a ritardando or a fermata it's like you have to plan it out so carefully and um like plan how many beats the fermata will last um how like and even then it might not be together um and so like with the metronome and recording where you can't even see the other members it just makes um adding the musicality and stuff so hard but despite that I sort of think that we still like 
were able to make a product that still conveyed a lot of the musicality and peace and just like still showed i don't know i think it still did some justice to at least what um the composer had intended you know one of one of the first so you open your video with clementine right and you open your clement and sentence part of what you were talking about was the musicality i think it shines through in the recording so if we take a moment to listen i think we're going to notice some of those things that you were just talking about <laughs> Thank you. 
rhythmic in most most of the time because like I said earl like I was said earlier we had to play to a metronome and a click track so it sort of helped with rhythm I think also in the piece Florence Price so when you're listening to Florence Price playing playing Florence Price part of what your job probably was was to get to know the composer either in person like the personality but also the sound when I listen to Swing Low I hear Dvorak I hear a lot of those sounds and some historiographers and musicologists have linked, I think a little unfairly, but have linked Florence Price with Dvorak's influence. Have you noticed that or do you find her music influenced by anyone? I, um, well, I definitely remember reading about that, like how um, there are some similarities between her music and Dvorak, but I also, also um, just think it's so cool um, what she did just because all the movements are a mix between like folk songs, which mm. is non-classical music and just amazing classical like voice leading and counterpoint. And um, on top of that, just being a composer in a really like hard time for like black females in this country, it's like so impressive how amazing her music is. And also so sad that it's been buried for so long. It feels sort of empowering sometimes actually to play these works because if she could, with so many with so many things against her during her time, and she could yet still create such really beautiful music, it feels sort of like empowering. Like you know, she could really do this, and so could other people also. So, um, and I just I just really like her works a lot. It was really really wonderful getting to know her, which is actually it's actually quite a, quite sad actually because no one really talks about her that much nowadays more than they used to. But still, she's just such a obscure composer, which is really a shame because her works are wonderful. They're, they're completely wonderful. And, you know, for, so my counter argument to the people who say that Dvorak and her, you know, she sounds like Dvorak. Well, she sounds to me just as good as Dvorak, if not better. Right. So that's totally unfair. Why do we know Dvorak, but not Florence Price? Exactly. So I'm hope so, but it's people like you making these awesome videos that are sort of transforming, transforming this work. Um, and, I, and I'm glad that you that you found a way to play this music. It's it's really classical and traditional, but at the same time, these the, the counterpoint is so intense that it sounds so uh, so modern. And I think the only way to get through counterpoint like this is with a really good coach. And I need you to tell me about Anton. Tell me about Anton. Who is Anton, and and how did you get through this together? Anton is the coolest guy ever. Literally, he's, um, he's amazing. He just like right from the first coaching, um, he was just so nice and encouraging. And actually we were only supposed to play one movement, the third movement. Um, and then Anton, like after the, you know, maybe like on the second day, he was like, how about we try another movement? And then another and another. So we ended up doing four out of five and it was, it was really amazing. And actually he has like, <laughs> um, he was also my private teacher at PCP. Mm -hmm. He has some anecdotes. Um, one about Joshua Bell and how he went to a master class with him, and like Joshua Bell could play anything, and he was only eleven years old. Well, I think chamber music in general is much more intimate than like um, symphony music or orchestra music, and so the job of a coach is like, like I'm not saying that your job as a conductor isn't difficult because it, it really is. Like it requires a lot of patience and like musical knowledge and stuff. Um, but with like a coach, you have to be, I don't know, just like willing and just like much more, what am I trying to say? 
it's just a lot more personal. You have to kind of make the people in the group, the members of the group, um, see how to develop their musical style while also playing this piece and try to like improve improve their playing basically. And when you're a conductor, you don't get that one-on-one -on -one, um, experience, right? So, yeah. I would almost say a coach, a chamber coach is like a cross between an orchestral like conductor and a private teacher because they sort of have, I don't know, they aren't, of course, in the performance, like um, out sort of directing everyone because with only four people that probably wouldn't make sense, but they sort of help coach the group on the musicality, help them stay together and also just like help them sort of get a sense of the music and help them really convey what they're trying to convey um, through the music. guests quick questions uh, that hopefully elicit kind of rapid fire quick answers and if you're game for it I would I would love to ask you does that sound okay all right we'll start with Sammy and go to Nikki and then go to Julia um, Sammy what's one recording everyone should hear um, I would say um, <laughs> the Elgar cello concerto um, mm -hmm. Uh, my favorite is either Sheku Kana Mason or Yo-Yo Ma, um, but I just love that piece so much. It's the concerto I've been working on. Got it. Nikki, what about you? One recording everybody needs to hear. Zimbalist Sarsatiana for viola and piano. And it's basically a suite for um, made out of four Spanish dances written for viola. It was transcribed from Sarsate's, some of Sarsate's work for violin. So it's basically like a transcription, but the arrangements for viola and piano. And I think there's so many good recordings of it, but I'm thinking of the, let's see, Roberto Diaz. I love his recording of that, of that piece so much. So that's one recording I wanted to suggest. Um, I'd have to go with the uh, first violin concerto that Prokofiev did. It's just, it's so amazing, especially the second movement. It's like my bucket list piece. Yeah, but also the Florence Price, Five Folk Songs in Counterpoint. Specifically by the Price Quartet, no, no less, right? Everyone needs to hear this recording. Um, Julia, I'll start with you. What's one com who's one composer you wish you knew better? Shostakovich, I think. Yeah, um, some of my other friends from PCP from a different session, um, they like to joke that Shostakovich is their grandfather. Um, and I don't know where that started, but um, it's really funny. And just like, I love every single one of Dvorak's works. So um, for me, it might be some one of the earlier composers who wrote like Renaissance music as well as sort of yeah. grew up in classical. So I guess for me, it might be Bach because like his cello suites, which I really love. Um, but also, I'm not sure if this is sort of in line with the question, but I really wish I knew more about composers like from other cultures and other mm -hmm. musical styles because I really love doing other kinds of music aside from classical. And I just wish I knew more about a lot of the writers of that, which is usually like traditional music, which has been passed down through generations. That's a tricky one because I have so many composers in mind also. <laughs> but, um, Rebecca Clark, she was a, she was a modern 
composed female composer and violist, and she wrote many wonderful works, including the Clark Sonata for the the sonata, her sonata for um, viola and piano. And I feel like people don't talk about her that much either, and I want to learn more about her myself. So um, she's one of the composers out there that I think I want to learn more about. Fabulous. And Nikki, while I've got you, I've got a new question. Your guilty pleasure music. What What's the music you really love to listen to, but you don't like to tell anybody? I've got a lot of them, but I like Gregorian chants, which I think <laughs> people love it, but some people don't think it's sort of weird. But I just love listening to it so much. I yeah. And it almost has, there's like no explanation. You just really love listening to it, right? Well, yeah. Also, this sounds weird. I don't, I don't think it's really exactly a genre, but I like the, I like the intros of anime a lot. It's like a lot of anime intros. I like to listen to those a lot too. And I don't know, some people find it sort of weird, but I sort of like it too also, in addition to classical music. Yeah, that's, that's what a guilty pleasure is. You just like it and you don't really feel like explaining yourself. For sure. Julia, guilty pleasure music? Yeah. Okay, so... It's more of just like a guilty pleasure piece. It's like Caroline Shaw. I forget the name, but it's basically like, <laughs> it sounds really weird. It's basically like a bunch of people just like breathing in rhythm. And it sounds really cool. But like whenever I tell people about it, they're like, it doesn't sound like it's music. Carol Caroline Shaw is a favorite of mine, particularly her partita for eight voices. But it, it, she uses like speaking and things like that. But breathing, I haven't heard that one. Sammy, uh, guilty pleasure music? Um, so me, I'm trying to like figure out if what it like, I usually listen to a mix of like classical music, fiddle, folk music, and jazz, um, because those are the genres I play. I guess my guilty pleasure of those is probably fiddle music, because that's probably the one that just has been like the most, um, like solid in my life sort of so far. Um, I just like really love just like turning on some like Alistair Fraser and Natalie Haas albums and just like jamming with them. Uh, they're like a fiddle or cellist duo who I really like. Me too. It's not what I was trained to do, but it's something I just love to play along to. Um, Sammy, your unpopular opinion. Music everybody likes, but you just kind of don't. Hey, I usually answer Haydn to that question because I just like Haydn used to not be a fan of mine and I just like, um, I just everyone around me was like playing his cello concerto for um, like one period, but I sort of his music is growing on me. Um, it's like I'm trying to I don't know appreciate it more because even though I like I don't know it just like um brings to mind sort of I don't know how to describe it, but um I don't think that's my unpopular opinion. I like Haydn a bit more. I'd have to go with Haydn also, just because I had like a bad experience. I played one of. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just the same thing over and over again and my coach kept saying like you have to make it different it was just the same thing and it was just it was really really hard and like even though like that's the thing with Haydn like it seems so simple but like so often it's something repetitive um so you have to like come up with like, a new way to play it and that was Haydn is the great recycler Whereas Mozart had so many melodies, he could just throw them away. And Haydn was the one who would have, I mean, brilliantly had one melody and it would come back in 4,000 different versions. Absolutely. Nikki, any guilty, uh, no, unpopular opinion, music people love that you're just so-so on? I have trouble thinking about, because I like, I like almost all composers. I can't really think of anyone I don't, just, I don't really like. 
I will say though, however, I knew still have this liking towards Hindman, but he's but his compositions have really grown on me actually to the point where now I really love his work. So it used to be Hindman, but now I love his work so much. So I'm yeah, so you're you're morph again, just like Sammy, your like your like of a composer is morphing, which is great. Um, Julia, what got you who or what got you started in music? Um, my older sister. Yeah, so she's four years older than me and she started playing the violin and I thought, wow, that's so cool. Um, and actually we had like, it's like a great picture. It's like um, a wooden chocolate box in the shape of a violin. And it's like me posing my, next to my sister and she has her violin and I have the chocolate box. Yeah, so I was very much inspired by her. It's in the family then. Yes. Sammy, what about you? Who, who or what got you started in music? Um, so for me, I actually, my first experience with music was piano because my mom sort of played piano off and on and she like had a digital piano at home that when I was really young, I'd like bang on and just like see what came out. So that was fascinating to young me. Um, and so I sort of started piano lessons when I, um, was around first or second grade, but then it sort of became a negative thing for me and I stopped and I picked up cello in fourth grade, um, just like in school when they gave you the option to learn a string instrument. And cello just sort of became like what I was all about. And I did like end up playing piano again, um, but now cello is sort of my main instrument. Actually, mine's a bit complicated. Basically, I always, I was like really little and I always really liked music. And my parents also, they loved classical music a lot. So they just want, and I really reacted really, um, I reacted very positively to anything with music, especially classical. So they just started me on violin and I started when I was four. And eventually my, my teacher gave me the opportunity to play the viola. I never really heard the viola that much before, but when I had the chance to play it, I felt really in love with the instrument and the, and the timbre of the instrument. So that's what I play today. Sammy, should I counsel my students to make a career in music? Um, that's definitely quite a tricky and amazing question. Um, and it's also something that I'm debating like for myself. Um, and also like not just a career in music, but if I want to sort of continue down the classical path or continue down like a less classical, um, encourage them to do what they love, of course. If like music is what they love and what they feel passionate about and they feel like they can really bring out their souls through their instruments, then I think that, well, of course, I'm not a professional musician, so how could I, how could I say this? But like people love watching what, other people are like passionate about or other people sort of conveying themselves through like any kind of art and I feel like if they have that like connection with music it's definitely something that they should keep doing um but that's just my personal opinion and um it's a lot trickier in execution especially as musicians struggle in this time um but um that's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, COVID-19 aside, he, he, it's, a musician's life can be difficult if, you know, making things work. Um, Nikki, do you think I should counsel students to be professional musicians? That's actually, I don't, I don't know if I can answer this really well, but personally, and I'm also not the most experienced, so I might take it with a grain of salt what to say, but um, honestly, I think that if the, it depends on the, on the student. If the student really is passionate about music and they can't imagine any other career other than music, I think then definitely, yes, they, they should be musicians because they should do what they want to do and what they're the most passionate about for their living. And if they just keep working really hard and they just keep trying to make their, they'll, 
if they keep working really hard at it and they keep on trying to better themselves constantly, they'll eventually make it as a musician. So um, I think in almost all situations, yes. However, if the student doesn't really like music or they have something they prefer to do other than music, maybe that maybe a career in music might not be for them. But if that's the, if that's their passion, music's their passion, they definitely should go into music. Yeah, for sure. And Julia, what do you think about that? Should I counsel you to become a professional musician as a student of mine? Um, not me, <laughs> but um, I've had that talk so many times. But yeah, I think a lot of people would appreciate it. And I don't think um, Sammy and Nikki have left anything out, but I think also that, um, you know, like career day, it's like kind of off topic. But sure. Yeah. Um, you see like, I don't know, you see like firefighters and stuff and you never see musicians. And I think um, nobody really treats um, music as like a serious um, career. And I think that should definitely change because it's like, it's such a hard profession to keep up. It requires so much dedication. Um, and I think people should kind of like learn more about music in general and that, yeah, like maybe don't like force like a mm -hmm. career onto your students, but definitely um, help them see that like it is um, an achievable like career and it could be very fulfilling for them. I ask this, la there is a one more question and it's because I'm getting the sense that you might have interesting answers to it. And that is, and any one of you can answer, what is the strangest thing anyone has ever asked you to play? Um, my first teacher asked me to play Twinkle Twinkle. Because <laughs> um, he said that you can tell a great um, violinist by how they play Twinkle Twinkle. I feel like my answer for this should be much more interesting than it is. I'm just thinking back to some of the solo cello pieces I've played. And this past year, I was like part of this program, which sort of mass matched up like composers at like the Hart School College with like performers in the Hart School like preparatory or like pre-college program, which is like where I do most of my outside of school music stuff. Um, and the piece that was written for me was just like this really weird, and it was sort of cool, but it was just a weird contemporary piece. Um, that had lots of chopping. I don't know if you guys have ever done that, but it's like when you sort of use the bow to make a percussive sound on the string, like lots of ricochets. And it was just a very strange and like difficult piece. <laughs> and especially with quarantine, I probably didn't practice as much as I should have. I just remember it being so difficult and it was like not rewarding at all to practice. And it was just, oh. But it was such a cool piece. Like when I finally got it to like the recording level. We had to play this piece where we basically, instead of using bows, we used paper, and we just fold paper different ways and treated it like a bow. It was just really weird, and it sounded so strange and scratchy. I don't know. <laughs> to this day, I still think about it. It was just like, that was so weird. Um, That's That qualifies for the strangest thing I think you've ever played. Um, it, it, it was really great to chat with you all, the Price Quartet, and uh, if, if we uh, can hear if we can hear anything in your answers and if we can hear anything in your music, it's that you are very passionate about what you're doing. Um, and the music it, it speaks for itself, but I'm so glad that we got to share this time together. So it was good to be with, it, with you all. Um, we'll sign off and say, uh, we'll listen to you next time. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for having us. The Price Quartet met and performed virtually over the summer at Point Counterpoint Chamber Music Camp. 
The members of the quartet are Julia and Janae on violin, Nikki on viola, and Sammy on cello. They're now all in their last year of high school and are enthusiastic chamber music musicians. At Point Counterpoint, the group was coached by Anton Miller on Florence Price's powerful string quartet, Five Folk Songs in Counterpoint. As an African-American female composer, Price never received the fame that she deserved while alive. After her death, she became the first woman of color to have a symphony performed by a major orchestra, finally gaining that national recognition. To honor her achievements, the group is named the Price Quartet. Join me next time as we discover more about Florence Price and her symphonic works. That's Florence Price next time on Brewing Classical. Brewing Classical grew out of COVID-19 stay-at-home restrictions when all of us needed just a bit of music to get through the day. My hope is that you took your mind off your everyday life during this episode and are a little bit refreshed and more ready to face the next day. The recording in this episode is performed by our guests, the Price Quartet. Special thanks to the Strathaven students who challenged me to make this podcast and to wield it into existence. Theme music for this episode was written and produced by Cecilia Olszewski, Jessica Orr, and Matteo Machado. I thank Miss Kate Plows for her tireless support and reminder that the world always needs more storytelling. Thank you, dear listener, for spending a little bit of time with us. Be sure to rinse out your mug and let it dry for the next episode of Brewing Classical. Goodbye.